Welcome back to Margin. So today I want to talk about and discuss the complicated and dreaded topic of a looming recession and what market indicators to actually watch for. Welcome to the Millennial Margin Podcast. I created this personal finance resource out of necessity as I've watched countless people schedule away, mortgage up, and max out their lives. Margin is simply the antithesis providing leeway in an increasingly marginless culture. If you want to build margin into your personal finances on a daily basis, this is the podcast for you. Now, the topic of a looming recession is thrown out pretty much every year since the last great recession and in many different forms and fashions, of course, but it's no surprise that we're here again, that it is coming up again in the headlines as a topic of discussion. But how serious should we take these recession warnings? So let me first start off with defining what a recession actually is. Uh, You hear this uh, fear-inducing word that makes you think of stagnant or declining wages, uh, layoffs, unemployment, reduced economic activity, foreclosures, just to name some. So most of the words, most of the descriptive words associated to recession are negative and have uh, an overall negative connotation. So when people talk about this, uh, it, it brings about a level of fear with people. So according to Webster, a recession is the act or action of receding. Uh, But in terms of an economy, it simply means two consecutive periods uh, to which each period uh, is considered a quarter. And that quarter has three months where economic activity is reduced. Uh, When looking at the official onset of a recession, we turn to uh, NBER, which Uh, which basically shows us the business cycle. Now, according to NBER, which is basically the National Bureau of Economic Research, the NBER's definition emphasizes that a recession involves a significant decline in economic activity that is spread across the economy and lasts more than a few months. So it further states that in our interpretation of this definition, we treat the three criteria, depth, diffusion, and duration, as somewhat interchangeable. Now that is, while each criterion needs to be met individually uh, to some degree, extreme conditions revealed by one criterion uh, may partially offset weaker indicators or indications from another. So for example, in the case of the February 2020 peak uh, in economic activity, the committee concluded that the subsequent drop in activity had been so great and so widely diffused throughout the economy that even if it proved to be quite brief, the downturn should be classified as a recession. Now, they continue to state that the determination of the months of peaks and troughs, which are the peaks and troughs, basically that mountaintop and the and the valley per se, is based on a range of monthly measures of aggregate real economic activity pushed by the federal statistical agencies. Now, these include real personal income, less transfers, non payroll employment, employment as measured by the household survey, real personal consumption expenditures, 
wholesale sales adjusted for price changes and industrial production. Now that was a lot of words. That was a lot of complexity. So in layman's terms, the drop in economic activity is according to real GDP or gross domestic product, uh, income, employment, manufacturing, and retail sales according to the balance. Now, when looking at economic activity, the NBER looks retroactively, so a recession will not be announced until the two quarters are already done uh, and completed and the data is confirmed. So this means that you won't know that you're actually officially in a recession until around six months later, although you feel the effects much sooner. So let's briefly look back at the last recession. Now, according to the balance, the U.S. economy contracted uh, or shrunk 5% in the first quarter of 2020, then contracted a record 31.4% in the second quarter. The economy then grew 33.4% in the third quarter, but it was not enough to actually make up for earlier losses. Now, in the fourth quarter, it grew just 4%. So the two quarters would point to a recession because they were consecutive and they were both negative. Now, in this specific case, it was, of course, a government-induced recession due to the stay-at-home orders, the non-essential business uh, shutdowns, uh, all you know, resulting in negative economic activity during that period. So Forbes had a, uh, a very helpful article that went over five key areas of what to look for when it comes to a recession and a pending recession. So I'll cover those uh, here shortly, but initially they stated that the business cycle describes the way an economy alternates between periods of expansion uh, and recession. As an economic expansion begins, the economy sees healthy, sustainable growth. Now over time, lenders make it easier and less expensive to borrow money, encouraging consumers and businesses to load up on debt. Now, this causes, in their quote, irrational exuberance uh, that starts to overtake asset prices. So as the economic expansion ages, asset values rise more rapidly and debt loads become larger. At a certain point in the cycle, one of the phenomena uh, from the list above derails the economic expansion. The shock bursts asset bubbles, crashes the stock market, and makes those large debt loads too expensive to maintain. As a result, growth contracts and the economy enters recession. So let me ask you this. Does any of that sound at all familiar? Now, we have enjoyed a long span of time with cheap money, spurring economic, uh, you know, growth over the extended long haul, which has led to euphoric-esque Uh, asset valuations across the board. Now, Forbes goes on to explain the predictions related to a coming recession, which includes an inverted yield curve, uh, declines in consumer confidence, decline in the leading economic index, or LEI, uh, sudden stock market declines, and also rising unemployment. Now, these were the five components 
that the article was referring to. Now, we will cover each of these five aspects shortly. Now, this was what the article was pointing to as the five aspects to specifically watch for. But before we do that, I want to talk about the general aspects or the general feedback that we're seeing not only from the media, but also from economists and looking at the underlying data. So I'm going to go general and then back to specific. So I think it's important to get an idea of the general reference points related to the economic cycle before jumping into that specific data. Now, according to Goldman Sachs, traditional market indicators of recession risk are sending conflicting messages. Uh, models based on the slope of the uh, yield curve imply recession odds of 20 to 35% over the next year above the 15% unconditional historical odds of a recession in any four quarter period. So more specifically, Jan Hatzius of Goldman Sachs argues that the risk of a recession over the next one to two years has increased as the Fed is set to deliver uh, uh, contractionary shocks to an economy that it was already likely to disappoint even before the growth negative uh, geopolitical conflict began. So according to an insider article, as the Federal Reserve prepares to kick off a series of interest rate hikes Wednesday, uh, its current policy roadmap will steer the U.S. into stagflation and a major recession, according to former U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, uh, Larry Summers. Now, Summers, who is currently the president of Emeritus of Harvard University and previously led President Barack Obama's National Economic Council, noted that a recession often follows conditions of high inflation and low unemployment. So in an MSN article referencing David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research and Associates, Inc., uh, is convinced that the Fed will beat inflation so hard that the U.S. economy will slide into a recession as early as this summer. Now, he goes on to state that relative to overall inflation, housing is overvalued by about 35% and 27% relative to wages. Now, home prices relative to residential rents are 25% overvalued by the standards of the past. Now, a single family home now absorbs more than eight years of Americans' personal income, which is almost 50% higher than the average going back to 1968. Now, in a normal market, it takes five years of income to buy a single-family home. So housing, like equities, a long-duration asset and benefiting from years of accommodative uh, monetary policy is again ensnared in a mess of a price bubble. Now, the price to income multiple is just about where it was in 2006 and 2007. So this is alarming, but he circles back and talks about his recommendation. He quotes that as we head into the recession, you want to have a cash reserve. The notion that cash is trash gets trashed um, cash will provide you with the resources to buy assets that are deflating and will deflate further. So he goes on to quote that we're already in a recession when it comes to real wages. Real average weekly earnings have been negative now for five months in a row and six of the past seven. 
Now, there's over a 90% correlation between real spending and real incomes, and just a lag of a few months that separate the two. So that would put a recession starting sometime this summer, as early as June and as late as August. It's going to be either a second quarter or early third quarter event, according to Rosenberg. Now, all of these positions vary from cautiously bearish to full-on bearish uh, with regards to the direction we are headed economically. But nonetheless, it's important to look at different opinions when it relates to the data and then be able to dig into the data itself. So that's what I want to go into now is digging into the data to see if these five areas, if there are yellow or red flags related to uh, moving into a recessionary period. So looking at one of the key indicators of a looming recession, the bond yield inverse compares short-term bond returns to long-term uh, bond returns. Now, when there is an inverse of the normal relationship between the two, this points to fear of the short-term and increased related risk than that of the long-term, pointing to volatility in the short-term. So the Corporate Finance Institute referenced that the treasury yield curve inverted in the 18 months preceding the last seven financial crises in the U.S. So according to Barron's, they referenced that uh, there was a range of 8 to 19 months following the yield curve inverting that you can expect, you know, expect a, a recession to occur. And so that's why it's important to look at that. Now, if you look at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, you can see that we are chasing down the yield between the 10-year treasury and the two-year with just 17 basis points before it's in the negative category. Now, this is a big deal because of the fact that the last time that this occurred was August of 2019, and before that was December of 2005, and the recession did not officially start until December of 2007 with the 2005 situation, um, but in both cases, it preceded an upcoming recession. Now, the next component to look at is consumer confidence. Now, when looking at either consumer confidence, according to the OECD data, uh, it currently sits at 98.5. Now, this represents that future sentiment on aspects like the economy, unemployment, and, uh, and savings are showing slightly higher pessimism by consumers than the index average of 100. So looking at the second set of data by the conference board, consumer confidence is shown as hovering above the 100 index at 110.5, but continues to decline. Now, both surveys are showing an overall decline in the consumer sentiment, representing that consumers may become more cautious with spending and in turn, grow more pessimistic, which then can cause a self-fulfilling you know, prophecy of the economy actually slowing and the economic activity actually slowing uh, because of that sentiment setting in. So the leading economic index or LEI, according to the conference board uh, statistics, showed that the conference board leading economic index for the U.S. increased by 0.8%. 3% in February to 119.9, uh, following a 0.5% decrease in January and a 0.8% 
increase in December. Now, they further communicate that this does not fully factor in the impact of the Russian-Ukraine invasion, which most likely will have a negative effect on LEI. So it's important to go through what the LEI actually tells us. Now, it's pulling together a, a lot of different metrics like GDP and looks at evaluating those. Now, I'm going to go through a list of what these are because I think it's important to know what's actually included in this metric that is closely resembled to GDP. So the LEI index uh, tells us uh, the average weekly hours for manufacturing, average weekly initial claims for unemployment insurance, manufacturers' new orders uh, for consumer uh, goods and materials, the ISM index for new orders for manufacturers' new orders, uh, non-defense capital goods, excluding aircraft orders, uh, building permits, new private housing units, uh, stock prices, uh, for the 500 common stocks, uh, the leading credit index, uh, which is interest rate spread, the 10-year treasury, uh, bonds, less federal funds, and average consumer expectations for business conditions, according to the conference board. Now, that was a lot. There's a lot of components to go into that. But if you look up LEI, you can go into each of those components specifically and be able to figure out uh, what's compiled there and what's important to, to evaluate in that picture. Now, the real gross domestic product or real GDP, although not outlined by Forbes uh, as being an important indicator of future economic activity, uh, is important to still look at. And that's why I want to cover that because most people hear about negative GDP or two quarters of negative GDP. And that's why uh, with that general terminology, we want to make sure to define that. So I believe that it's also important to look at GDP. Now, this is what's commonly referred to or referenced when it has to do with two uh, periods or quarters of economic uh, declines. They're referring to GDP. And so even though Forbes didn't outline GDP, I wanted to go into that here and explain uh, why it's an important indicator of a future economic activity. So although GDP is a lag indicator, when you're looking at data in real time, you can actually look at the real GDP figures based um, you know, month by month. Uh, and it's outlined by the IHS market data. Now, the conference board shows the correlation of LEI to GDP, which tracks uh, relatively closely. It's really interesting to see kind of the bar graph uh, compared to the line graph and really see what that comparison is. Now, the IHS quotes that markets index of monthly US GDP or MGDP is a monthly indicator of real aggregate output that is conceptually consistent with real GDP uh, or gross domestic product in the national income and product accounts. Now, according to the IHS market data, uh, last year we saw monthly GDP decrease in February, July, and November. Uh, now, that being said, that's looking at last year. Now, these were individual months. So looking at this one indicator, one month that's negative growth uh, is, is less important than looking at the trends in relation to consecutive drops uh, in GDP. 
Now, the next component that I want to cover is the stock market volatility. Now, it's no secret that the stock market has been quite volatile going into the new year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, for example, is off its January 4th high of 36,799 to a low of 32,632 on March 8th, which accumulates to a 11% drop over that period. Now, as for the S&P 500, January 3rd was the high at 4,796, uh, dropping to a low of 4,170 on March 8th, uh, which, which attributed to a 13% drop for the S&P 500. Now, since then, there's been some momentum and some recovery and whatnot. So I'm not looking at where it's at today. I'm looking at the high versus the low uh, in even just the last few months. But it's important to look at how much volatility has been in the market since uh, not only we entered the new year, but coupled with the whole challenge in regards to the Russia-Ukraine invasion. Now, the next aspect I want to cover is unemployment. Now, unemployment has been a challenging area because we have a very mixed message of what's actually going on around jobs and unemployment. Uh, we know that uh, that we added 678,000 jobs in February, while unemployment edges further down to 3.8%, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So those two components are pretty clear, but um, but. We are experiencing a tight labor force, which has been, uh, you know, even more so impacted by people not returning to work after the government uh, stimulus and after all of the uh, health concerns and everything else, uh, as well as those who returned to work um, just to join the great resignation. So there's a lot at play. There's a lot of people who um, are, are not actually contributing in, into the, the workforce right now. And so uh, when it comes to those numbers, it's pretty clear that, uh, that we do have you know, job growth and our unemployment uh, is, is, is reducing, which are both good things. But it is a little murky knowing what exactly is going on behind the scenes. So in summary, looking at these five uh, indicators of the inverted yield curve, uh, you know, looking at consumer confidence, uh, looking at the leading uh, economic index uh, or the LEI, uh, the market volatility, as well as unemployment, uh, it's important to look holistically at the market and whether there is greater upside reward or downward risk. Now, this has been a longer episode, but I wanted to provide some data around not only what to watch for, what to what indicators to keep an eye on, but also where we currently are. Now, we are currently seeing excessive debt on both the consumer and business side of the equation, a so-called everything bubble, whereas asset prices have surged to unprecedented levels, uh, sharply rising fuel costs, causing the increase in, in costs to everyday life, as well as runaway inflation sitting at 7.8% year over year, which is no longer being considered or deemed transitory. So add to this the fact that the Fed is counteracting this with raising interest rates and what looks to be pretty rapidly with the first announced this week at a 
25 basis point increase. Now add to all of this that personal savings rates were 8.3% in February 2020, peaked at 33.8% in April 2020, and has since declined to 6.4% below the February 2020 figure, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Now, this may sound especially low, but it's actually three times that of July 2005 when it hit an all-time low of 2.1%. So, thought I might add that. Now, time will tell the extent to which the Fed will be willing to go uh, to, to shore up inflation and at what cost it will slow growth and reverse course. Now, we know, of course, that time will tell, but it's important to look at the data and take a position that includes some buffer for contingencies if things don't go the way you anticipate them. If this information is helpful to you, explore the Margin Membership, where me and my team will help you take the information you're learning and apply it to your life and your finances. I've built an interactive course that allows me and my team to come alongside people like you to help you revamp your finances and build margin into your life. Click the link in the description below for more information. If this information is helpful to you, please do follow, visit millenniummargin.com or connect with me on Margin's social platforms.